KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Jay, we are entering one of the most precarious times of the year for people of a certain ilk, mm-hmm. and those people are college basketball fans. Oh, you're speaking my language if you're bringing that sort of thing up. You know how I am, especially this time of year, into the month of March, and got a little tournament getting started today, too. Well, I'm wondering, in your head right now, would you love to be hate-watching the blue and gold? Ooh. Oh, that team Do you in- get enjoyment out of hate-watching? Oh, I, I, the, the fun story about that school in Ann Arbor is I will not watch, like, the first half of their game, but I will keep an eye on the score, and if the score gets a little spicy i might tune in just to kind of see how it all ends because you know i mean you'd certainly hate to see if something happened to a school like that that's just how i roll when it comes to these things my my mind is firmly waiting on friday evening when a certain team in green and white takes the floor tomorrow evening that, that's where my brain is going to be that's right we know your squad is michigan state my Penn quakers got knocked out of a qualifying tournament for the ncaa tournament so i suppose i'll throw my support behind jay wright and the villanova wildcats but to the task at hand jay scott smith This has also been a very busy week for the Philadelphia School District. Absolutely. We're talking about Final Fours here. Well, the Philadelphia School District is down to their Final Three. And those three finalists to be the next school superintendent have been in the city all week long getting interviews. But the one thing, aside from their impressive resumes, none of them has Philadelphia roots. It's time to stop using Philadelphia as an experiment. People come in, they make their money, they're given all these great incentives, they're not vested. We know what we need in Philadelphia, and we know that we have the talent right here in Philadelphia, man and woman. Well... We will talk about that definitely today. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Brian Seltzer. And we will do that deep dive into the Philadelphia School District Superintendent Search. KYW News Radio's education reporter Mike DiNardo will come in and join us in a little bit. But today, aside from the start of the NCAA tournament, it's also St. Patrick's Day. We've got warm weather creeping in this weekend. It's been nice all week long. Today is the rare day this week where it hasn't been really nice outside. And then Sunday... First day of spring, 11.33 a.m. on Sunday is when we officially cross out of winter and into spring. Yes, Jay, I cannot wait. I felt like this was particularly a tough winter. Maybe it was the surge of Omicron and everything else that's been going on in the world with the invasion of Russia and Ukraine. I am ready to get out and about again. And some great news yesterday for all you outdoorsy-minded peeps out there. The state announced that FDR Park in South Philly is going to be getting a half-million-dollar grant from the state towards the overall redesign of FDR Park. So if you go to KYWNewsRadio.com, you can see some really great images and renderings and documents about the master plan and what things might look like. Pat Loeb was at the event, and the project had some people pumped up and thinking big about the potential, the new potential for FDR Park. The master plan with trails and fields and waterways is expected to cost $250 million, but the city is doing the work in phases and is tackling the entryway first. The DCNR grant will go toward rehabbing an old guardhouse into a welcome center, building a playground, and revitalizing the Patterson Lagoon. The redesigned plan has its detractors. Some want more areas left natural. But the welcome center has broad approval. State Rep Regina King, who's secured other state funding for the project, says she sees the 348 acres as Philadelphia's own Central Park. People who are talking about being environmental, well, this is the space. If you're talking about a multicultural outlet where people can learn and grow together, this is the outlet. This is going to be greater than Central Park. Karen Harris of FDR's Friends Group goes one better. This is going to be one of the top-notch parks on the East Coast. 
it is a really nice park. So, of course, we'll be keeping an eye on that. As now we're starting to head into the spring, and everyone's kind of in this mode as well as marking this two-year anniversary of COVID, which was earlier this week. And we've got more booster news. As Pfizer, they're looking for authorization for a second COVID-19 vaccine. That would be a fourth shot for those of you keeping count. It'll start with older Americans. Now, the first two shots are not considered boosters. That was shot one, shot two. We get a little bit more of an explanation on this from CBS News's medical contributor, Dr. David Agus. It comes from data from Israel where a four-shot significantly improved immunity in these individuals, as well as had a benefit in terms of blocking serious illness. It looks like what we're going to be seeing with these vaccines is basically as we head more toward an endemic phase of COVID, that this is going to be just like the flu vaccine every year that you get, where we just have to kind of keep protecting ourselves from this virus since, unfortunately, it's not really going anywhere. I first and foremost, Jay, love that it looks like we're moving away from getting out of the throes of Omicron. But I also love to hear that the science community and researchers and doctors are doing their thing to make sure we stay on top of staying ahead of the transmission of this virus. But it's like I... I laugh. Maybe it's my defense mechanism. I laugh when I read articles like, now there's a subvariant because there's the variants and the subvariants and BA2 apparently is 30% more transmissible but does not appear to be deadlier than the original version of Omicron. But health officials are keeping an eye out for what's going on with BA2 and perhaps there could be a wave of that coming. It's like, not like I'm trying to be funny here, but it sounds like the updates that you get on the iPhone, where at some point there's a new version of yeah. this of this software. It still <laughs> works just about the same, but a few there have been a few tweaks that have been made to it. Of course, hopefully we don't have to deal with another surge of that. You can hear more about that and everything else we've got going on on our website, kywnewsradio.com. Now, the superintendent of the Philadelphia School District is one of the most important jobs in the city. And we'll touch base with KYW's education reporter, Mike DiNardo, about who could be next in line to replace Dr. William Hyde at the end of the school year. We'll have that coming up after this. I'm Jay. I'm Brian. And this is a pivotal week for the Philadelphia School District as they are winding down their search for the next superintendent, the individual who will replace the current superintendent, Dr. William Height, when he leaves at the end of this school year. Now, all three finalists have been in the city for interviews and meetings this week, and we all know that if the school district is busy, then our education reporter, Mike DiNardo, is busy as well. And Mike, thanks for taking some time to join us on this Thursday. It is always a pleasure, Jay. First, just give us a general overview of what was going on this week. What did each of the each of the men who were here have to do while they were in town? What itinerary did the district put them through? Kind of give us a heads up on what this week has been like for them. Yeah, each of the candidates had a single day where they spent uh, intensive days of uh, interviews uh, with the people in the, the, the school district. They spent separate meetings with selected groups of parents and then students at uh, a school and then school staff. And then finally, each did a town hall in the evening at district headquarters. And it was a rather structured town hall. The questions were read on cue cards by a moderator. There was very little Q&A with the public and reporters were not given access to the three finalists while they were in town to ask them questions. Be that as it may, you have to remember that each of these three men, and yes, they are all men, uh, have jobs already. So this was a way to bring them all in, give each of them an intensive day of questioning without taking too much time away from their current positions. So Mike, we can go in chronological order and leading off is John Davis. He was here on Monday. 
And he was very blunt about acknowledging the factor of race when it comes to working in Philadelphia. And I have to prove myself every single day in this um, because, frankly, there have been too many white people that have not. What else did Davis say that really stood out to you? Well, Davis is the uh, chief of schools in Baltimore right now, and he talked about creating a culture of accountability, uh, that everyone takes responsibility for students achieving and not just not just him. He pointed to the fact that in uh, D.C., where he uh, previously worked, uh, that many of the school buildings there were modernized or replaced uh, completely. But you have to remember that in D.C., there is a, a funding mechanism in place to do that, dedicated funding to replace schools. That's not something that is in place in Philadelphia. So that would be a hurdle that he would have to jump over. He talked a lot about educational equity, as uh, as you mentioned, as you heard there. He's a parent of three. He has two sons who went through a high school in D.C., and he's got a fifth grade daughter. Uh, but, Jay, he was asked if the daughter would be coming to Philadelphia to attend public schools. And he said, no, his plan was if he got the job, his daughter would remain in D.C. and go to school there. Mm, how did that go over? <laughs> When he mentioned it, there wasn't a real reaction from the uh, the audience because it was very structured and the moderator just, just asked the next question and went to move on. I think the people in the room in the auditorium said, okay, that's that's your personal choice. Be that as it may, that's, that's what it was. Now, following up John Davis the next day on Tuesday is Krishmo Heap. Now, he spoke about an experience at one of his previous stops in Youngstown, Ohio, and how that's kind of shaped him. I had some detractors. I had some people that put bricks through my windows. I had people that put uh, smashed my windshield. I had people that placed death threats against me. But I was not, I, I was not shaken by that. The hard to not be shaken by at least some of that. So what did he say that his secret has been to his survival? Well, we'll, we'll paint the picture, first of all, as, as to why there was a vandalism at his house and of his car. He was the CEO, the state appointed CEO in Youngstown because the state took over that school district. So he came in and there was a lot of local opposition uh, to the fact that this outsider was coming in to, to make changes. And he actually, under the takeover law, he had the hammer. He had the authority to make unilateral changes to the teacher contract and other rules in the school. But he said he chose to collaborate instead of imposing those changes. And I guess that was the secret sauce there. He's, he said he was able to increase the graduation rate in Youngstown schools by double digits uh, in two years. He talked about the fact that every child has the ability to learn uh, and that it, it is up to adults to make that happen. That's his philosophy. He talked about creating a good playbook, a good framework, if you will, where uh, teachers monitor daily targets. And then if you do that, then uh, overall proficiency will follow uh, and students will be able to achieve. Uh, in, in Youngstown, he was there for three years. And currently, Jay, he's the deputy education officer in the state of Illinois. So we have one gentleman who is in Baltimore. We have another gentleman who's in the Midwest. And then we head down south for the third and final candidate, the Philadelphia School District brings in Tony Watlington, who's currently in North Carolina. And here's something that probably played well with a certain segment of people who were checking out what he had to offer. If we think this is really what built the middle class in this country and what really made this country the world's largest economy, we've got to pay teachers boatloads more even than they make currently. 
It sounds like he's running for political office there a little bit with that one. Do you think these finalists were true to the profile of the ideal candidate that the district formed through those listening sessions that they were having at the beginning of this search? I do. The, the, the people said that they wanted a superintendent who was concerned with equity, one who was concerned with supporting teachers, uh, giving them what they need, uh, and one who could raise student achievement. All three said the right things. Basically, they uh, agreed with the Board of Education's goals and guardrails that they've adopted. Watlington said he was a teacher at heart and not a bureaucrat. I guess being the teacher at heart, uh, he said that uh, teachers should be paid more. He mentioned that was one way to attract uh, the the best and brightest to Philadelphia. Uh, Incidentally, Jay, he talked about the fact that he started out as a custodian and a bus driver before becoming a teacher and principal uh, and eventually leading schools in Guilford County, North Carolina, which is a 72,000 student district. Uh, And then currently he's the superintendent at Rowan Salisbury Schools, also in North Carolina. Could you tell, Mike, just by listening to him, that he still had some of those humble beginnings in education about him. I thought that was a really fascinating point, that he truly did rise to the ranks. and He's probably seen all facets of what goes into the infrastructure of an education system. Oh, sure. I mean, from, from the ground up, you, you, you can tell when you listen to him that he had an empathy for every job, every staff position in education on on the way up. So uh, he uh, certainly created the impression that he understood and could identify with everybody who would be working for him. The elephant in the room is that none of these candidates are from Philadelphia. Now, Joyce Wilkerson, who's the president of Philadelphia School Board, spoke to that rather glaring issue. During our listening sessions, that was one of the things that was that came out from a lot of people. They want somebody who understands Philadelphia. And in our finalist pool, we don't have any candidate from Philadelphia, but all the candidates understand that it's something that's really important. They need to spend the first 30, 60 days really getting out and meeting people in Philadelphia, getting to know the neighborhoods, hearing what's important to people. So I think we have candidates that, that really understand and value being able to understand and connect with the community. How big of a deal is it that these candidates are not from Philly and how have they addressed and handled these issues? Well, you might say the elephant was in front of the room because all three (laughs) made it very clear that they are not from Philadelphia. Tony Watlington was the only one with any mention of a local tie saying that, uh, you know, he grew up in North Carolina, but his father lived in Willingboro, New Jersey. So he would spend uh, summers with his father there. Speaking to that, the fact that none of them are from Philadelphia, Chris Mohip twice during his town hall uh, called Philadelphia Pittsburgh and then had to correct himself. But <laughs> but it had been a long day for him. So the, the, the crowd did cut him a little slack. Uh, all three know that there is going to be a learning curve and that whoever Whoever is hired, the first thing they'll have to do is to have a sort of listening tour to gather as much information as possible. And then that opens up the whole debate of, is it necessary to have a superintendent who is local? There hasn't been a a local superintendent, one who rose from the the ranks uh, since Connie Clayton, who was uh, superintendent uh, in 1982. That's a big elephant in the room, and there's a lot of opposition and conversation about whether there should be, uh, or there should have been a local superintendent. doesn't look like it's going to happen, at least not this time around. I think guys in any hiring practice 
most people would agree that if you bring in people from the outside, it could bring fresh eyes, fresh minds, different perspectives. And like you mentioned, Mike, there's been this long string going back decades of having someone not from Philadelphia here, even William Height. Actually, I talked to Height yesterday and he said something very interesting that he said, coming in as an outsider, the first thing that he had to do was to close a number of schools. Enrollment was dropping, more students were going to charter schools because of overhead costs, uh, among other things. They were The district was faced with the prospect of closing down a number of schools. And he said it was difficult for him, but it would have been more difficult for someone who would experience in the city and someone who was known locally to have to close a school that could have been in their in their own personal neighborhood. So that that outsider's eyes maybe gives them a more clinical view of how they would have to make difficult decisions. In addition to not having any direct strong ties to Philadelphia, Mike, another thing that none of these three candidates is, is a woman. They're all men. Was that something that people flagged too? Sure. Robin Cooper, the head of the uh, principals union uh, mentioned the, the fact that all three candidates uh, were men. There certainly were women who applied, but for whatever reason, they didn't make it to the to the finalists. And a lot of people are saying they would have liked to have seen a woman and a Philadelphian uh, among the three. So we haven't been able to ask the board members and the selection committee exactly why no women were chosen. It goes without saying that they apparently thought that these three individuals, these three men, uh, rose to the top. Now, we've heard from the candidates and we've heard from the president's school board. What about some of the parents? Because I know they were also speaking to parents in the area as well. What are the parents' concerns? And do they feel like their voices are being heard throughout this entire search process? Well, they're frustrated uh, and they don't feel like their voices are being heard. If there is one thing, one theme that came out, it was that they want more trust from the new administration. Uh, They want more transparency from the new administration. Uh, Parents, many of them felt betrayed by sudden changes and the apparent lack of planning and control in the school district uh, facility situation, for example. We're not talking about COVID. We're talking about the asbestos and lead paint Also, the changes this past year to the admissions process for special admit high schools, the magnet schools, moving to a lottery that gave preference to underserved neighborhoods. Many parents say these changes affect us directly and we weren't given an opportunity to uh, voice our opinion or give sufficient input. So they, whoever the new superintendent is, they want him to listen to them and to give them a voice, not just the occasional Facebook conversation, but a real a real voice. So all three of these men have come through, gone through the process. Now, the obvious question is, what's next? When, when do we find out who's going where here? Well, sometime soon is the, is the generic answer. Uh, there, there are eight current members of the school board right now. They uh, will have to deliberate. The President Wilkerson said that she expected the board would name a candidate uh, the week of March 21st, which is next week. There is a board meeting on Thursday, the 24th, 
But that's not necessarily a target date from the board members that I've talked with. They want to make sure they make the right decision. So if it takes longer than a week to do that, so be it. They want to make the right call. So sometime soon, they want to bring the new superintendent on board so that he can share time with the current superintendent height uh, so that they can, he can be, hate to use the word onboarded, but so that they can get him ready for the, uh, the job that he'll take over on July 1st. Just a couple quick housekeeping items, Mike, about this uh, for clarification. So this is in the hands of the school board, right? That's the body that has the final say in this. Correct. They, the, the school board hires the superintendent. Once they pick one of these three men, they will negotiate a contract with him. And yeah, the, the board has the final say. And they're all volunteers. Yeah. The mayor appoints the school board members with uh, the uh, advice and consent of the city council these days. It's a nine member board and there is an, there's an opening on the board right now. It's too early to say. I don't know which one of these uh, candidates might be in the lead or how the vote may go, but you do have eight members. That's an even number with three candidates. Do the math. Someone's going to come out with uh, the most votes, but I, I would like to think the board would would want to pick someone, number one, relatively soon, and they would like to have a... a a unanimous vote, if not uh, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of backing behind one particular candidate, so that they know that superintendent has their support as he goes forward to run the district. Mike, you've got a, an extensive history with covering education here in the city of Philadelphia. Do you feel that these three men, any of them, would be up for the job here in Philadelphia? Because what you've laid out, they've got a lot of work to do. From the limited uh, view that we've had of these three uh, candidates, I, I would say it appears that way. One thing that uh, Tony Watlington pointed out last night, he said he doesn't believe that you have to have experience in a large district to step into a leadership role there. That even though his district right now is relatively small compared to Philadelphia, that they share many of the same issues with poverty and crime and facilities issues and student achievement. So the same issues are there, just on a different scale for all three of these finalists. Mike, thank you so much for joining us and really giving us some insight on this search for the new Philadelphia school superintendent. Happy to do it, Jay. Always a pleasure. Now, you can follow Mike and, of course, keep up on the search for the new superintendent. You can follow Mike on Twitter at underscore Mike DiNardo on Twitter. Or, of course, once again, find all the work right here on KYWNewsRadio.com, on the Odyssey app, and, of course, on KYWNewsRadio, 103.9 FM and 1060 AM. That's it for today. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Brian Seltzer. And tomorrow, we'll tell you how you can help some local breweries raise money to help out the people of Ukraine during this invasion. Plus, Dave Uram checks in to introduce you to our latest. Philadelphia Sports Fan of the Week. Until Friday, we'll see you then.